Well, we've been talking about getting back to basics. Basically, what we're talking about is getting ready for 2018 to make it the year of comeback for us, the year that we become all that God has dreamed of us being. And I know that it's only November of 2017, but what we began to realize together is that for many of us, we haven't laid the foundation that it's going to take for us to be ready to usher in 2018 to be all of that. So what we've decided over these next few weeks leading up to Christmas is we're going to do this together. There's some basic decisions that all of us need to understand and to make. And we want to do it together because that's what a family does. I talked about how Laura jumped out of that airplane, but she didn't do it by herself. How it was tandem with someone that had done it many times before. And so we're going to walk this way together, tandem. We're going to do this together. There'll be some things I want you to do even right at the end of the service. And don't be afraid. We're going to go out and we'll do some of that together today. There's an epic battle going on all the time. And if we don't realize it, we're going to lose. And it's a battle that is in our mind. It's a battle for our mind. And I want to talk to you today about God's prescription for wellness. Because culture is, is always pushing at us, pulling at us, tugging at us, moving us around. And a lot of times we just buy into the lies of our culture. Some of those lies are pretty innocent. You know, we see lies all the time, like even in advertising. Burger King advertises its Whopper and it looks like this. Take a look at that. Makes you kind of hungry, doesn't it? Then I went to Burger King and got my Whopper. It looked like that. Yeah, that's not, that's not the same. And, and then we're always on Facebook and Instagram. And I, I, I saw this wish. May your life someday be as awesome as you pretend it is on Instagram. And some of you are going like, man, I just wish my life was as awesome as they're, they're pretending to, all right? So we just get caught up in all of this, and there's so much fake news. You know, we hear about fake news all the time. I saw a great quote that really brought it all home. Take a look at this quote. The trouble with quotes on the internet is that you can never know if they are genuine. Abraham Lincoln said that. <laughs> he was a smart man. And then, you know, these, these little lies may not be so big, but there are some devastating lies that culture gives to us. And those are things like, I've got to do it all. I've got to be it all. I've got to have it all. And in America, we have this dis-ease, disease, but it's a dis-ease, isn't it? We're addicted to bigger, better, faster, more. And it's created a very complex life that, that moves too fast, that delivers too little and demands too much. And so we begin to think about this. You know, it, it, what really brought it home for me is just asking the question, what do I want to be known for? Let me just ask you this. If you could write down just one thing, this is what I want to be known for. What would you put down? And what's interesting about that is that if we're really honest with ourselves, there's kind of two lists. There's the one that we say, this is what I want to be known for in my mind, in my heart. But then there's the one that our time and our energy and our money shows up. 
You know, I, I'm figuring there's not a lot of us here today who say, I want to be known for being a driven, overextended, hurried parent who doesn't connect with my kids. That's not a good one, is it? That's not one we would write down, but is that where we really are? I want to be known as a very successful business person who's been through three marriages. That doesn't sound good, but is that what's happening? I want to be known for someone who's way too busy to have any deep, meaningful friendships. None of those things are are what we really want to be known for. And yet, if we look at our lives, sometimes it's showing up a whole different thing, isn't it? There's a concept in Scripture that's amazing. It's the word shalom. All through the Old Testament, we see it. And, And it's the greeting that... In Israel today, if you were walking down the street and people were greeting you, they would say shalom as they greeted you. As you left the house, they would say shalom. It means peace, but it's really a deep theological term in in Scripture. It it, it talks about an interconnectedness of all of us. And Strong's Concordance defines shalom as completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, Safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony. All of these things. In other words, the way things were designed to be by God. That's the way he wanted them to be. How do we experience shalom? We've gotten so busy and, and, and so hurried. Jesus stood up. At a great feast one time, and he says, are you really, are you burdened down? Are you, are you worn out? Come to me and find rest. Rest for your souls. That's the idea of shalom right there. It's a, it's a soul rest, a soul peace. Well, we've got to remember the battle is in our minds. And so one of the things that we have to do is we have to figure out where shalom comes from. And the scripture tells us, in fact, look there. In your worship notes, Isaiah 26, 3, I wrote it down. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. And then I, I, I have it there again out of the Orthodox Jewish Bible, which I like to read sometimes just to get the real feel of, uh, of what the scriptures say in there. Listen to it. Thou wilt keep him in shalom, shalom, whose yetzer, mindset, is stayed on thee shalom shalom in hebrew when you put words like that back to back it like is exponential it's like shalom times shalom it's like perfect peace it's peace beyond understanding it's all of this wholeness this wellness that god designed for us but just in 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 just overflowing and it's such an amazing concept who gets it the one whose mind is stayed On you, God. The place of shalom, shalom, is the source of shalom. And that's God himself. When our minds are stayed, settled, established on him. But they have to be stayed there. They have to be kept there. What sustains your mind? What what are you focused on? And this is a really important message for me today. Because I realize over the last few months especially I've kind of lost a little bit of focus with with uh, 
from God to like our country and what's going on and where are we and you feel unsettled and you're trying to figure out you know the market is going crazy up and you're thinking is there something getting ready to happen you get all of these kind of things and God's going whoa 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 where's your focus Mark you see it in the battle the battle for our lives begins in our minds and if we trust the Lord it's going to show in our actions but it's going to begin in our mind So we have to dwell on God's truth and not the culture's lies to us, which brings us all the way back again to God's word. And I want to focus on that this morning. Look what Psalm 119, David said, I will never forget your commandments for you have used them to restore my joy and health. Psalm 119, 143, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Psalm 119, 165, those who love your law have great peace and nothing, nothing causes them to stumble. And then that same verse, I added the one before it, out of the Passion Translation, because I think it's really close to what David's trying to say. He says, I stop to praise you seven times a day because your ways are perfect. There is such a great peace and well-being that comes to lovers of your word. And they will never be offended. Peace, shalom, the same word. There's a wellness. There's a peace. It's given to those who love God's word. To love God's book. How do you love a book? You know, if you came up to me and you had a Betty Crocker cookbook and you just... You know, you said, I just love this book. I love, I, I love the feel of it. I love the typeface. I even love the index in the back. And I could just, I just could thumb through it every, every so often every day, you know. And, and, and when I get to the recipe on banana pudding, I just, I weep sometimes. I would be like, you need some psychological help, right? But now let's change that a little bit. And let's just imagine that you came up to me with this worn looking handwritten thing and you said this is my grandma's cookbook and my grandma hand wrote this out and and all of her little recipes and all the things and every time I see her handwriting it makes me think of her and every time I I look at one of those little recipes and I even see the the food stains where she was like right there she had it right there with her and it just makes me think of grandma when I make those things grandma's lemon pie oh my god see that's a whole different feel isn't it because there's a relationship there and it brings to mind the relationship and that's what it's talking about this so got hold of me this week because you know I, I, I've been doing this for, for like 30 years did you know that and it's weird because I'm like 32 so since I was two now 30 years I, and, and I thought am I a lover of God's word am I really a lover of God's word I mean I, I, I know I preach on it I know I talk about it I know I believe it but do I love it and what I realized is that's something that only comes from God and so I've been asking God this week to just refresh me and make me again a fresh a new a lover of his word that just want to get in his word and focus on his word because when you do that it gets your mind stayed on him and it shows you the truth about life and about God and about the world. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples this morning of how truth, God's truth, redefines success for us. 
when it comes to loving, when it comes to living. One is found in 1 Corinthians. And, and Paul is writing to a church that's a Houston-type church. It's the Corinthian church, but they have the same dis-ease that we have. I mean, it's a go, go, go kind of culture. And, and, and in fact, they're not doing very well in the things that matter, like relationships. They're suing one another. There's divisions. There's all, 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 in all the things that Jesus talked about, they just weren't doing well. And Paul talks about that in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. And then he comes to this amazing chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And we call it the love chapter. And, and some of you have it up on, on a plaque on your wall. You know, some of the things that Paul said in the love chapter. You've heard of it. Some of you at your wedding, you know, Justin Verlander just got married. I wouldn't be surprised that he and Kate Upton at their wedding, someone quoted 1 Corinthians 13. Because, But when Paul came to write this, he didn't sit down and say, you know what? I'm going to write something. I want to write something epic that, that will be said at every wedding from now on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pen something for all the people down through the ages that love decoupage, that they can put on a little plaque, you know? And it's going to be in everyone's home right next to footprints. It's just going to be the most amazing. That's not what he was doing here. He was writing some really, really practical things to a church that was really, really struggling. He says this, if I speak with the eloquence of men and of angels but have no love, I become no more than blaring brass or crashing Symbol. If I have the gift of foretelling the future and hold in my mind not only all human knowledge but the very secrets of God. And if I have absolute faith that can move mountains but I have no love, I amount to nothing at all. If I dispose of all that I possess, yes, even if I give my own body to be burned but have no love, I achieve precisely nothing. So performing, performing in your world with the greatest gifts and abilities produces nothing. A lot of us are on this hamster wheel of performance and, and we've substituted because we learned growing up that you get kudos for performance and, and, and it's a shallow substitute for a deep meaningful relationships but but it, it, you get you know kind of a pat on the head and everybody goes wow look at you and and it feels pretty good and so we've gotten into this thing and it's like more more we got to do more we're performing he says all of that without love if you don't lo really love it, it, it's it's nothing it's not it doesn't matter where how far you climb up the corporate ladder and we do it to our kids too right my kid can hit the ball further and run faster and make better grades in school and they're going to go to the most elite I, I, I heard this past week about a, a, a girl there her parents started her in the sixth grade, half a day every Saturday, they had a tutor come and, and tutor her for the SAT and the ACT. And she scored a perfect score in high school because she had been working on them since sixth grade. And she went off to an elite Ivy League, League college and she changed her phone number and she has no contact with her parents and she's glad to be out of the house, she said. You see, we, we can put the same thing on our kids, can't we? This performing, but without love, it's, it, it, it's nothing. He says also possessing, even possessing amazing gifts and abilities and intellect and faith and even all this stuff that sounds so godly. Without love, it's nothing. 
and providing. So uh, we, we think that's all about we got to provide and, and, and do something. And he says that's nothing without love. It's not as if we're trying to live these insanely paced lives. In fact, I, I talk to people all the time. They say, I've tried to slow down. I've tried, but I just keep getting pulled back into this dread, this ease. Push, go, make it happen. You're losing it. Market share, all these kind of things. And every time you buy into a lot, the biggest ones are, are really subtle. And they're wrapped in a significant amount of truth. But it feels like you get into this dis Ease. Is that where your soul is? Dis-ease? We've got to begin to redefine success. And that's what Paul begins to talk about all in, in, through Corinthians. He said, it, it, it's not like, how did I do? But it's, who am I becoming? That's a whole different thing. How did I do? That's, uh, that, th- that's a performance question. But who am I becoming? That goes to character, doesn't it? It's not, what do I have? But what am I doing with what I have? goes from possession to, to stewardship and management of what God has given us. Not even how much do I give, but why? Why do I give? You begin to look at it. You know, on, the, on the, that great last day, God's not going to have you stand before him and say, how far did you get up the corporate ladder? You know, how big was your house and what car did you drive and, and, and how, what grades did your kids make and all of these kind of things, you know, our sports trophies and all, all this, that's, that's not going to mean that much anymore. He's going to say, how much did you love me and how much did you love other people? That's what he said. He said the great command, the one that really everything hangs on is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, another quick truth. At the end of the age, Jesus tells a story, and it, it brings us to truth. It brings us to what matters. He says, there's going to come this day when the great king returns, talking about himself, and he said, he's going to separate people, some on the left and some on the right. And then look at Matthew 25, 34. He says, then the king will turn to those on his right and say, You have a special place in my Father's heart. Come and experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been destined for you from before the foundation of the world. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. Then the godly will answer, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? And the king will answer them, don't you know? When you cared for one of the least important of these, my little ones. That's when, that's when, that's when you did it to me. You did it for me. Over these next few weeks, one of the things that we're doing, our I'm in initiative that we started last year. And we're making a difference around the globe. I used to not ever want to say, talk about money much because, you know, I I thought, oh, you're just going to think, oh, church is about that. And it kind of reminds you of television evangelist or something, you know. But let me tell you something. I I realized that I was doing you a disservice because some of these things that we're doing around the globe are exactly this. In Burundi, we've been seeing amazing things happen in Burundi. And it's because of you and I'm so proud of you, community of faith. But one of the things in the middle of the year last year, after all of our budget stuff, 
had happened. They came and they said, what we really need desperately is a porridge factory. And a couple came up from our, in, within our membership and they said, we've been saving for a, many, many years for a retirement home. And we feel like God wants us to give all of that to make this porridge factory begin. And this next year, we're going to continue giving toward that to, to make it happen and continue and go. And all of us are going to be a part of it. But Burundi just sent us a video, and they made this video themselves. They want you to see what's happening as this porridge factory. It's going to make this amazing stuff that, that is so full of vitamins that they can, the kids can live on. Take a look. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But in Burundi, most people aren't eating breakfast or eating enough at any time during the day to support a healthy life. One underreported international story is that Burundi is one of the hungriest nations. When it comes to malnourishment, the situation is dire according to the United Nations. The people of Burundi currently suffer from chronic malnourishment meaning that kids' growth is stunted, their ability to succeed in school is limited because their brain can't fully develop, and with weaker immune systems, their bodies are more susceptible to diseases. Lack of protein and vitamins during pregnancy means that more women struggle and rates of maternal and infant mortality rises. So more death, more coffins, more loss. This is what is happening for 67% of Burundians. But we didn't need to read the reports. We could see with our own eyes the situation was desperate. In Wuanza, there were too many tiny coffins being buried, too many kids sick, too many families fearing for the future. So in 2014, we started a feeding program as part of Kwizera Academy, our primary school. Kids would come for breakfast to begin their day. They would each get a bowl of fortified porridge full of vitamins and minerals, plus a cup of hot chai. With full bellies, they would go off to class. We started seeing undeniable improvement, so we quickly expanded the program. Then we decided to invite every pregnant woman that came to the health clinic. They got breakfast too. For these women and children, breakfast was the most important meal of the day, giving them a dependable source of nutrition when food was scarce. This is Alice. Two years ago, when nurse Lydia met her, she was pregnant. But her body was so weak and she lost her baby. Malnourishment was the most likely culprit. Her body lacked the nutrition necessary to carry her baby to term and have a successful delivery. Alice got pregnant again. This time, when we learned she was pregnant, we had her join the kids for breakfast. She had four to five porridge full of vitamins to make her strong as she carried her baby. Just last month, she gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Both mother and baby survived the delivery and are strong, thanks to a good Wuvanza breakfast every day. Them too, they can all testify to the truth that in Wuvanza, 
Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. This is Denise. She was having a hard time seeing the chalkboard and could not concentrate in class for long periods of time. The school nurse tested her and learned she suffered from extremely low protein, a common side effect from malnourishment. This meant she had no staying power in class. Now she's in fifth grade and she's doing extremely well. She's first in math and loves to read in between classes. Her eyes are strong and she no longer struggles with low protein. She's a very happy and healthy girl. She knows that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And they all know it too. This is what a good breakfast of fortified porridge does for a community like Bovanza. We've begun to call it Breakfast of Champions. Community of Faith wants to offer a strong start for every day and a strong start for every life. So we're building a factory to make our own fortified porridge. We will produce high quality porridge and at a high volume so that we can feed more kids and more mothers. We're feeding champions and we want to hear them roar. I love that. I love that they use Katy Perry's roar in that. You know, it's just, it made me laugh when, I, when they sent it to me. That is you. Every one of those kids at Quizera Academy, it's only community of faith that supports and created that. It's for the, the Batwa people of Burundi who make $100 a year a family and have been overlooked by everyone. Even, even the United Nations overlooked them. And now we're seeing what God's doing. And with that porridge factory, it's going to go way past them. It's going to go out into the Congo and Rwanda and all these other places. And there's, there's just hardly anything like it in the whole area. And I'm so excited about that. And on that great day that we stand before Jesus, those kids are going to be there. Did you know only two out of ten of those kids lived to age five when we first met the Batwa those years back? Only two out of ten. They've only lost one baby in the last three years. And, and I mean, there are kids everywhere. We even started an initiative to kind of help them a little bit with family planning, but the lady over it got pregnant, so it didn't work out. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's amazing what God is doing. It's amazing. How, the, what, the, it's just, I, I can't even describe it to see these healthy kids and these healthy faces. I was hungry. And you fed me. Another thing we're doing, last week, 430 of you signed up to help serve right here at Community of Faith. Right here inside our walls and also in the local community. And I'm excited about that. But a lot of you, you were thinking about it, but you slipped on out. Okay? So we have totally locked the doors this week so you can't get out. But we're out there again. We've got cupcakes and conversation. And Laura's going to come in just a moment and tell you about what that looks like as you head out. When you change that little baby's diaper. So that his single mommy can come in here and hear what God wants to do in her life and how much God loves her. That's, that's doing it for Jesus. When you greet that person that's come from no church background at all, which is so many of us. Or coming from a, a, a dark place in life like Trey, our drummer who wrote that song. And, and, 
and you come in and am I going to be accepted here? And you're the greeter that's going, welcome. Let me show you where to go. Let me, I want you to feel like you're part of the family. You're doing it for Jesus. And that's, that's what this is all about. So we're going to be out there again because I think there's probably another 400 of us today that can step into that. And it's for you. It's not for us. It's for you. You'll see God in action. I also, I, I want to do something really special for you just this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Look in your worship guide there. You see Shalom. Text it to that number. Do you see it there? Put it up on the screen just in case you don't have it. A worship guide. You can right now pull your phone out. Take a picture of that or stick it in there. Okay. Just this week, only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We won't do it anymore after that. I know some of you will want us to, but you'll have to figure something else out. We're going to text you a Bible promise every morning. David said seven times a day. We won't do it seven times a day to you, okay? But just in the morning that you can focus on for the day, you can start to get your mind set, your mind stayed on God and what he wants to do. Watch the difference that it makes. Doug Nichols, he went to India and he wanted to be a missionary really bad and he had finally gone through all the process and he got there. But when he got to India, he was learning the language in the place where he was. They spoke a local dialect and he developed tuberculosis. And he had to go into this little sanitarium for tuberculosis. This is 1967. And he went into this little... Uh, sanitarium and it was just kind of a horrible little place there was a couple of hundred people there the locals and he said he couldn't really speak so he took all these books and tracts and stuff in their dialect so he could share Jesus with them and nobody wanted any of his stuff they just thought uh, what is this wealthy American doing taking up space in our sanitarium he said every night at two o'clock about in really early morning two o'clock in the morning he'd wake up with a terrible coughing fit and he just was going God I don't understand nobody cares about this nobody I can't even speak the language I'm so frustrated I don't know why I'm here two o'clock one morning he started his coughing fit again and he looked over and he saw an old man in the bed next to him who was curled up in a ball and obviously trying to rock himself up into sitting position so he could get out, but he was too weak. And, and, and he just kept trying to get up for about 30 minutes. He tried to get up, and then he just laid back and cried. Doug said when they woke up the next morning, there was a bad smell in the air, and he had soiled himself. And that obviously was why he was trying to get up to go to the bathroom, but he was just too weak. And the nurses came in, and they were upset. One of them even slapped the old man across the face and said, you're not a baby. Quit doing that. And the old man just cried. Doug Nichols said the next night he woke up again. It was right around 2 o'clock. He's had this coughing fit and he said he just couldn't stop. And he saw the old man again curled up in a ball trying to get up. And he realized then what he was trying to do. And he said, I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel good at all. I had my own issues. I had my own stuff. And I was in depression. And he said, but I got up anyway. And I went over and I tried to help the old man stand. But he was too weak. So I just picked him up in my arms like a, like a child. And he said he was so frail it was so easy he was so light and I took him to the bathroom and it was just a hole in the ground and I cradled him in my arms while he took care of himself and then I cleaned him up 
And I picked him back up again, and I went and laid him back in his bed. And the old man, as I pulled away, he grabbed hold of me and pulled my face down and kissed my cheek. And he said something in his dialect that I didn't know, what I think was maybe thank you. He said the next morning when he woke up, all these people were sitting around his bed. You see, they couldn't sleep either, and they saw what had happened, and they all wanted his books, and they all wanted his stuff, and they wanted to know about this, this person that he had been trying to explain to them. And he said it started this, this crazy thing where it just started to spread out from there, and people wanted to know about Jesus and came into relationship with Jesus. He said, I, I didn't preach some fancy sermon. I, 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 I didn't even know how to talk. I talked like a tiny baby in their dialect, and... He said, all I did was carry a man to the bathroom. And he said, and anybody could do that. But on that last day, that's what Jesus is. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And that shows what's going on already on the inside of us. 